If you have your Bibles, uh, take them out and uh, pull them to Acts chapter 3, and uh, we'll get some light so that you can see and you can follow through um, with us. Um, but Acts chapter 3, and what I'm going to do is read it, and, and then just make a, a couple of comments who is healed. And if you're here last Sunday night, we talked about this, how a man had been begging, he had been lame all of his life, and uh, Peter and, and John came by him into the temple, and he asked them for some money, and they had nothing to give, but they said, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he was healed. And so obviously there was some kind of commotion, and in verse 11 it says, then while he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's astounded. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our power or piety we made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life. Whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore. And turn again that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for your restoring of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the peoples who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant of God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Thanks, Father, for your word now. And would you help us to tie all these elements that we've been doing tonight, Lord, as we've worshipped you in obedience and baptism, as we've worshipped you and participating in the Lord's table, as we have worshipped you in song, and as we can worship you on our way out as we give of our offerings now, we will worship you around your word. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, this is uh, Peter's response to this man who was healed. And uh, Peter was always looking for an opportunity to share the gospel. And so this was not unlike any other uh, opportunity that came his way. And as uh, things began to take place, he was standing there, and this man who had just been healed was clinging to him. I was thinking of that uh, commercial cling wrap. Uh, or I don't know if it's a commercial, but you know, they, they show that cling wrap that stuck sticks on everything, and you can turn it upside down, and nothing falls out. And that was my sort of picture of this man. He was just stuck on them. 
everywhere he went. And it makes sense because he was so appreciative of the gift that he had received through these men, the gift of being able to walk again. And the fascinating thing that that I see in this text is immediately Peter does something that we all need to learn to do when we have an opportunity to share the good news with people or when we all have an opportunity to share about what God is doing in our life is he turned the focus immediately back to Jesus Christ. And I think we need to learn this and we need to understand it in our lives. And, and, and as, you, as we read that, you might have picked that up. First of all, Peter ignored the man who was clinging to him. Nowadays, you can watch these miracle services and when somebody is healed, they trot them out and they prop them up and they wave around the crutches or they wave around the, the, the wheelchair or they, they do all kinds of stuff to sort of draw attention to the individual. And they might have said, well, let's all gather around him and let's hear his story and then turn to him and said, Zach, why don't you tell us what your legs feel like today? He didn't do that. He just sort of pretended that he didn't have this growth on his side. So he didn't focus on the man who had been healed. He also didn't make much of himself. There was this real opportunity that they could have sort of puffed themselves up a little bit and said, wow, we're pretty good guys. You know, we're, we're not perfect, and, and, you know, but we are a little bit better than everybody else. And, you know, uh, Jesus does live in us. And so we've got this sort of extra special connection with God. And so, you know, they could have talked about themselves. And again, you don't need to look too far to find individuals that the focus is all on themselves. And it's all about how God uses them and what God does through them. And it's a way of sort of elevating themselves at the expense of elevating Christ. And I think of Peter and John that the, the, the last thing that they wanted to do was to draw attention to themselves. And so they quickly tried to turn the attention back to Christ. And I think that's so important for us as we're sharing with people what God has done in our life or what God is doing in our homes or what God is doing in our job to, as quick as we can, draw their focus back to Jesus and his power and his might and the way that he answers prayer and the way that he intervenes and the way that he's sovereign and the way that he's working the circumstances out of our life so that you, you can explain what's going on in your life right now. And he says here, we look at all the different names that he uses for Jesus. He, he couldn't say enough about Jesus. He talks about him as being God's servant. And right away, without going to Scripture, they would have known what he's talking about. They would have gone back to Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, to the suffering servant of Jesus. And these Jews were all familiar with that passage. And so immediately, he connects them back with an understanding of Scripture. And he says, Jesus is God's servant. And then he, he goes on and he tells them that he was the holy and the righteous one. And again, they would have immediately known that that was a reference to Messiah, again from the book of Isaiah. And then in verse 6, he calls him Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. A little bit later here in verse um, uh, 16, he calls him Jesus. And so there's immediate connection with the historical Jesus with the man who they walked with, the man who many of them had heard talk in the temple, the man who many of them had seen perform miracles around the countryside. And so he used that to draw their attention to Jesus Christ. And then he calls him a prophet as we came to that last little section that in line with Moses and Samuel and all the prophets, Christ was the prophet. And then he makes even one of the further statements. He says he is the author of life. And so he's, he's, he's losing all these connecting points to take away the focus from themselves and to drive the focus back on Jesus Christ. And see, that's the long and short of Christianity. That's the, the focus in the heart of Christianity. It's Jesus Christ. Followers of Christ are called Christians. 
Because we follow Jesus Christ. He is a unique person. He was a historical person. He was a person that was prophesied in the scripture. So they drew attention to Jesus Christ. So when you're thinking about Christianity, do you think primarily about Christ? Do you think about all the names that you know of Christ? Emmanuel, God with us, the author of life, uh, the son of God, the son of man, and, and, and all of those sorts of phrases. Do you wrestle with who Jesus was and what he said and what he did? Because without Jesus, there is no Christianity. Without Jesus, there's no reason to be baptized. Without Jesus, there's no reason to take this bread and this juice. So Jesus is the center of our Christianity. And that's what he says then to them. He says, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know, he's attaching their, their understanding of this man, this man who you see and know was made strong. In Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this man complete healing as, all, as you can all see now. And again, this is what I've been trying to drive home for us as we look at the book of Acts. Acts is about what Jesus continues to do and teach. Jesus, yes, he's in heaven now, but he continues to heal. And this is just one example of ongoing healing miracles of Jesus Christ that have happened over the last 2,000 years around the world. Jesus is alive and well, and there is still healing in the name of Jesus. And so he brings their focus back to Jesus Christ. So this man you know, who stands before you at this time, not through magic or anything in us, this man has been made strong. Because Jesus is alive. And so he brings their attention back to Jesus Christ. The second big thing that I think we find in this passage, and it helps us understand, again, the Lord's table and baptism and what's going on here, is he talks about sin. He doesn't avoid the topic of sin. I don't know if you've ever had anyone accuse you of a sin, but there's something shocking about it. You don't mind somebody telling you, oh, you, you, you know, maybe you, 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 you shouldn't have done that, or you know, maybe that was a sneaky thing to do, but when somebody actually comes up to you and says, you lied, or you were drunk last night, or you stole from the store, there's a, there's a real sense of conviction or offense that we feel when somebody actually points out the fact that we sinned. And it carries all kinds of implications in it that none of us really want to think about or talk about. See, but a Christian who doesn't talk about sin is like the oncologist who doesn't talk about cancer. He just avoids the topic. Would you go to an oncologist who never mentioned the word cancer? That's the heart of what he does. That's the heart of the issue that some people deal with. It's the same then as a Christian. The heart of what we deal with is the issue that we're sinners. That we have found Christ who saved us from our sins and that gave us new life and he died in our place. And so at the very core of Christianity is, is our sinfulness. Jesus tells a story. Some of you have heard this story. Um, two men went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. This man went down to his house in a right relationship with God. And the other man, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so this story illustrates why it's important that we understand the fact that we are sinners. See, Peter and the apostles didn't shy away from saying these things. They didn't shy away from telling people that the crucifixion, crucifixion was the crime of the ages. And whenever they speak about the death of Jesus, there's a kind of horror that, that, that comes to their voice. I'm sure that they trembled even as they talked about this and as they made this kind of accusation to the people. He says, it's as if they're saying, look what sin has done. Sin killed the author of life. Sin sent the author of life to the cross. And he, he, he's got a lot of guts. You know, he's talking to people, and he says to them four things. You delivered him over. You denied him in the presence of Pilate. You denied the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murderer and to be granted to you. You killed the author of life. That's pretty direct talk, isn't it? He says, you people are the ones that are responsible for the crime of the ages. Four times he said, you did this. I am increasingly convinced that this is the kind of straight talk that we need to engage in more often. Some of young people here tonight need to have somebody come up to you and say, you know what? You're sinning. You're walking in the wrong direction. You're doing things that you ought not to be doing. Some of the young marrieds here tonight need to have somebody come up to them and be honest with them and say to them, you know what? The choices that you are making are choices that are in the wrong direction from what God is doing in your life. The things that you're involved in are sins before the eyes of God. Some of us my age and older sometimes need people to come along to us and say, enough's enough. I've heard the way you talk to your spouse. I've, seen, I've heard the way that you brag about what you do with your income taxes. That's sin and you need to stop it. We need to have the boldness and the courage to tell people what is the problem. Because until we know, until we face up to the problem, we will never come to the right solution. And we have this responsibility, and I know it's a careful responsibility, and it's not something that's done in judgment, but the Bible says if you see your brother in sin, go and tell him his fault. Go and warn him. Go and say to him, you're walking in the wrong direction. You need to shift gears and walk the other way. So Peter tells it like it is. He's not vindictive. He's simply honest. He doesn't allow his own fears and his own failures because Peter himself was a sinner. He doesn't allow his own fears and his own failures to stop him from being honest with these individuals. What many of us fail to realize is that we are guilty of the same thing. You and I were certainly not part of the crowd that was there shouting, crucify him, crucify him. But it was our sins. It was our transgressions. It was our, um, it was our iniquities that sent Jesus to the cross. And so we could equally say here tonight, we killed the author of life. It was our sins that sent Jesus to the cross. So then Peter, though, he moves from there to the solution. 
he moves from there to the hope, and he says in, in verse 17, But God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that Christ would suffer, and thus he fulfilled it. Repent, therefore. Repent. He's blunt about sin, but he's clear about the way out. Repent. Repent is, 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 is a way of saying, you're walking in one way, turn around and walk the other way. Recognize the error of your ways. Recognize the sinful of your, sinfulness of your actions. Tell God that you're sorry. Tell God that you need his help and turn around and walk the other way. And Peter's in the same boat with them, is he not? Because Peter also disowned the Lord. Three times he denied him. So Peter's not condemning them. He's identifying with them. And why, and, and this is, we bring it to a conclusion with sort of these three quick things. Why is it, what is the benefit of repentance? Why is repentance such a cool thing? Well, he says, first of all here, repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. That is an astounding statement. In, 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 in those days when they would write on parchment, they would use ink that had no acid in it. And so when they would write on the parchment, it was possible for them to take a wet sponge and just erase that right off. And so it was a clean slate again. And that's the picture that Peter is painting here, is that when we repent, Jesus takes a wet sponge, so to speak, and he wipes our sins away. That's astounding. And you think, well, that was easy. No, that's what this is all about. It was our sins that sent Jesus to the cross. It was our, the penalty of our sins that Jesus died to pay for. And so the cost to him was absolutely astronomical. He's done it all. What we do is repent and say, I can't fix it myself. I can't pay the penalty for myself. Would you forgive my sins? If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? But for you there is forgiveness of sins. And so when we repent, Jesus says you'll have a clean slate. Second thing that he says is there's a future benefit. He says you will experience times of refreshing. Times of refreshing. It's a common Greek word, and it means like a a cool blowing breeze. It means to refresh. It was also used to suggest liberation or to alleviate something. In another place, um, it's used in the Old Testament when, when uh, the plague of frogs came upon Egypt. You remember that plague? And then Moses, um, he, they, they begged with Moses, would you get rid of these frogs? And so Moses prayed. And it says here, when the plague of frogs was stopped, there was relief. In other words, there were times of refreshing. No more stink. No more stepping on them. No more finding them in your flower. No more finding them in your bed. There were times of refreshing. And that's what Peter says to them. He says, when you, when you repent, your conscience is alleviated. The guilt of your sins is washed away. It's like this cool breeze from heaven blows through your body and your soul. And it's like, wow, where'd that weight go? Wow, where'd that musty smell go? Wow. Where are all the stains of my sin? They're blown out through our repentance. And so times of refreshing come. Final one that I want to mention is simply this. In the end of the passage in verse 26, said God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first. Notice that to bless you by turning every one of you away from wickedness. Have you ever thought about that? That... To, to walk 
in a way that pleases God is a blessing. To walk in the commandments of God is a blessing. To not lie is a blessing. To not steal is a blessing. To not have adulterous thoughts is a blessing. To not hate your neighbor is a blessing. To worship God with all your heart, mind, and soul and everything that you have is a blessing. He says, this is one of the benefits that comes into your life through repentance. God blesses you by giving you for the first time ever in your life the ability to say no to sin. The ability to turn your back from those things that caused the guilt and the stains in your life in the first place. And to the Philippians or Thessalonians, Paul writes, tell, they tell how you turn from God or turn to God from idols, which is repentance, to serve the living and true God, which is times of repentance, and to wait for his son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, Jesus Christ, who rescues us from the coming wrath of God. 1 Corinthians six nineteen following says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. That is a blessing. To be able to use my hands and my feet and my eyes and my mind and my heart and my affections to do what is right and pleasing to God rather than what is wrong and pleasing to me. Titus 2.4 says he gave his life to free us or to ransom us from every kind of sin. To cleanse us and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. Loved ones, that is a blessing in our life. And that's the heart of the gospel. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about the fact that he came to this earth and he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live and he died in our place in order that our sins and the penalty of our sins might be dealt with. And that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when we say, I can't do this myself, I can't handle the weight that is on my shoulders any longer. I can't deal with the stain that's inside of me. God, would you wipe that away? Would you forgive me? Then there's this whole series of events that Peter says take place. A sponge wipes away your sins. The cool breeze of the Holy Spirit blows through your body and refreshes you. And God blesses you by giving you the strength and the power to walk in a way that's pleasing to him.